Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Banker Next Door. I am your host, Dr. Joe Berquist. Today, we're going to be reviewing the Netflix documentary, Scandal, Bringing Down Wirecard. I hope everyone will find this enjoyable. It really is a kind of a wild roller coaster of a story. Um, I didn't report on this earlier because I was waiting for a little bit of updated information to come out. And you'll see that at the end when we get to when I get to kind of the aftermath as to what happened with some of the individuals and involved in this whole thing. So with that, let's bring up our little PowerPoint here. So again, we're going to be reviewing the Netflix documentary called Scandal. Uh, spelled with a K. Uh, so scandal bringing down Wirecard, and that's because it's a, it's a German company. Um, so let's hit, some, let's hit some of the highlights here real quick. So first of all, this was a Netflix documentary. It was produced in 2022, approximate run, run time of one hour, 32 minutes. The director was James Erkshine. Uh, this is based on the book Money Men, a hot start, a billion dollar fraud, a fight for the truth by Dan McCrum. And the summary is just the rise and fall of Wirecard itself. So Wirecard was started in 1999, actually under a different name. And the company was actually on the brink of failure during the dot-com bubble burst. Um, really kind of, uh, I would call it flandering about at that point. And then a, a gentleman named uh, Dr. Marcus Braun, who was an academic, uh, highly intellectual guy, uh, had been involved, had worked for a number of different consulting firms over there in Germany. He decided to come in uh, invest a bunch of his capital into the business and basically refocus the business onto, um, you know, basically internet payment services. The problem was the the underlying, the main bulk of the company's business at that time came from gambling websites and what I'm going to refer to as P websites. Um, and I have to call it that just because I'm, I'm kind of a little afraid of the, the YouTube um, algorithm and basically uh, what it you know will or will not ban. I think people will understand what I mean by P websites. Um, so but basically the, the, the P and the gambling websites made up the heart of the Wirecard business at, at that at that time. Again, nothing illegal, but you know not necessarily the the uh, the greatest type of uh, customers if you if you will, but uh, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. So I put together here kind of a timeline and we're gonna we're gonna kind of come back to this as we go through a number of these these items in here. So first I just want to part off. So in 2005, this is a little bit of the stock exchange history, if you will, of Wirecard. So Wirecard became listed on what was known as the prime standard stock market segment through a reverse IPO. In 2006, Wirecard was included on the TAC DAX. And then finally in 2018, it became listed on the DAX, which was basically the uh, premier money or uh, yeah, premier market exchange in Germany. In 2007, Wirecard Asia Pacific was founded. That's very important. We'll come back to that. In 20 in 2008, uh, Wirecard introduced virtual prepaid cards for online payments. In 2014, Wirecard expanded into New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and Turkey. And in 2016, Wirecard purchased the prepaid card services from Citigroup and opened operations in the U.S. They also purchased a South American internet payment service provider in Brazil. In 2019, SoftBank invested in Wirecard, which didn't turn out to be such a great investment. Uh, they also tried to make a push into China. 
So our story begins here, basically in 2014, Wirecard is really growing. They're expanding by leaps and bounds. Things are going great or whatever. And a gentleman named Dan McCrum, who is a, an investigative journalist for the Financial Times. And for anybody who doesn't know, the Financial Times is the equivalent of the financial newspaper for Europe. So in other words, here in the US, we have the Wall Street Journal. Over in Europe, they have the Financial Times. Um, Highly, highly recommend subscribing. If I, I've had subscriptions to the Wall, to the uh, Financial Times in the past, fantastic paper, uh, very well done, very informative. So, um, yeah, anybody who ha hasn't checked it out, you should definitely go check it out. They also have, they have a great website too. But uh, I digress. So, so Dan is alerted to some potential th bad things going on at Wirecard. They basically uh, that they might be attempting to buy growth by setting up kind of phony businesses in Asia. So, but but before we get into the heart of the story, just a couple extra things to understand about the dynamics of the situation. So Wirecard was basically the PayPal of Germany. Uh, their CEO, Dr. Braun, he was considered kind of the Steve Jobs of the Alps, which, you know, I, I thought was kind of funny, but it was kind of interesting. Um, now, Germany as a country, they had a lot of pride in Wirecard, and they also had a lot of, uh, they, there was a vested interest in the success of this company. Basically, you know, Germany wanted their own big, you know, financial technology company. They always, they're always kind of looking at Silicon Valley with Microsoft and Apple and Google and, and all the other big uh, you know, kind of uh, social media and, and big tech firms there. And they wanted their own uh, representation, if you will, or they or they wanted to start to build up their own tech community. And so basically, Wirecard was that company. Like I said, it was the German version of PayPal payment processor, and it had really blown up. And, um, you know, and so Germany was really touting the success of Wirecard. They were really invested in it. And they they had a vested interest in keeping that company there and keeping that company rolling. And that'll, that'll come into play here to see. So, and then just to point out, so from 2004 to 2019, the company grew from roughly 130 employees to over 6,000. So, and the company grew to have a market cap of, of approximately around 20 billion euros. Uh, okay. Let's keep going here. Okay. So, um, one thing to note here, okay, so in 2006, the U.S. passed the what was called the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, and this act prohibited gambling businesses from knowingly accepting payments in connection with the participation of another person in a bet or wager that involved the use of the Internet. So this was an issue for Wirecard. This was a big problem for Wirecard. And so how what Wirecard did was they basically miscoded these transactions to hide the payments. And then also they got involved with other money laundering that was going on. Like, for example, you know, what I again, what I referred to as the P business uh, that was encoded as emotional content, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but basically, then Wirecard began setting up these shell companies in England to basically run transactions through. Um, so let's go back for just a second. So if we go back to our timeline here, so in 2006, the U.S. passes this gambling law, which is gonna which is gonna be a problem for a lot of their customers. So in 2007, Wirecard then goes and opens the Asian Pacific 
um, that's when they, they, you know, so they move their ops, some operations over into Asia to basically try. And then they set up these, these shell companies in England, which they were then routing a lot of these payments through and, and miscoding them, trying to obfuscate what was, what was, you know, really going on. Then, like I said, in 2008, they get into the, uh, virtual prepaid card business online. All right. So let's, let's get back down again here. So, um, so basically, you know, so at the same time FT is looking into Wirecard, so are a couple of young ladies named uh, Fami uh, Kadir and Christina Clemente. They were basically investors from New York that had a kind of like, if you want to call it like a small hedge fund, I guess you could describe it that way. But um, but they basically went down and they got into Wirecard's U.S. office, which was uh, located in Conshohocken, PA. And that's kind of where this story comes in for me. This is this is where I got really invested in this interest because their location was not far from where I live. And I was very familiar with the city, the little city, but the small town of Conshohocken. Uh, I was familiar with a lot of the office buildings that were over there. And back in 2016, I happened to be in this one particular office building where I was calling on another company and I happened to notice, I was like, oh, there's this, this newer company in there called Wirecard and they had a very large space and I kind of wandered in and there really wasn't anybody in there. And, uh, you know, I kind of talked, I eventually somebody kind of wandered out and I talked to them for a few minutes and it was like, okay, you know, you know, well, yeah, it's kind of like, we're just setting things up here, whatever, blah, blah, blah. If you're, you know, we specialize in prepaid card, that kind of thing. And, uh, and I didn't think anything of it and, and left. What was interesting was during this documentary, these two young ladies, they go down there and they, uh, they go in and they, you know, knock on the door, kind of same, same thing that I did. Um, only they were there for a specific purpose, whereas I was just kind of curious. Um, but they walked in, you know, again, just see, you know, 20, 30 people in this very large office space. And it was just, again, started talking about prepaid cards. And then there were some things that were said about the limits um, that could be received, you know, up to like, you know, I think it was like $150,000 uh, type of credit that you could get on a prepaid card, which seemed you know, in, incredible considering the fact that most prepaid cards probably don't go to any more than say like $10,000. But um, so, so they, they kind of turned, uh, you know, th this kind of really got their, them thinking that, Hey, something, something funky may be up here. Yeah. It's still not hard proof of anything, but something may be funky there. But, but I just thought that that uh, again, when I, when I kind of saw that um, that's what really got me invested in this, in this, um, and this whole thing, just because it was, it was very uh, close to home in a very, very real way for me. So, okay. Um, so FT starts writing these articles, questioning what's going on here with Wirecard and Wirecard had this pattern where if any time anybody in the media would start asking them about saying, Hey, what's going on here? What's happening? They always put it back to this whole narrative of, Oh, we're being attacked by unscrupulous short sellers. There's these, these, this, these rogue short sellers in the market. And, but there's like a whole gang of them and they're just coming after us. And they just, they just, they're so jealous of us and they hate us. And they just go, um, anybody who really knows anything about finance and has really studied the markets for a long time knows that that's just the, you know, it's basically a load of, load of crap. It just, <laughs> it's just, yeah. Um, you know, anytime I always, you know, and, and again, other companies have tried this tactic in the past. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's garbage. You know, everybody's always trying to blame the short sellers. The, 
the biggest short sellers in the world are your big banks like, you know, Goldman Sachs, uh, JP Morgan, uh, Morgan Stanley. You know, the, those guys are short selling all day, every day. So I and, and you know, and then your big, you know, hedge funds like Citadel and stuff. So I, I, I find it kind of funny that, uh, you know, this is what the big boys do every day. But yet somehow it's this small group of, uh, you know, independent little uh, short sellers, you know, that are wreaking all the havoc. So but anyway, so. This investigation is going on now with Wirecard and you got Dan kind of running around checking on some things. He's got a couple other guys that he works with, another investigative uh, journalist named Paul, um, some different investors that he's, he's talking to about, hey, have you heard anything kind of what's going on there? So they're trying to they're trying to dig stuff up here. So now enter the COO of Wirecard, a, a gentleman named uh, Jan Marsalek. Uh, so Jan comes in and Jan was a very young, good looking, charismatic guy. He's a very good communicator. Uh, so he comes in and he basically gets interested in, in kind of what Dan is is doing. And he he kind of finds Gary. And so he reaches out to Gary and he's or I'm sorry, he knows Paul. And he reaches out to Paul and he tells Paul, hey, I'd really like to get a, a meeting with Gary. I'd like to sit down with him because he's with the Financial Times. So Paul kind of puts this meeting together. And they sit down and they have this very kind of weird and uncomfortable meeting, but something quite extraordinary happens at the meeting. So Jan suggests that he's potentially willing to bribe um, Paul to get him to, you know, basically to, to stop, get FT to stop writing bad articles about them and maybe just start writing some positive articles about them. Paul basically says, no, 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 I, I, I don't do that. I'm not corrupt. Like I've never taken money for anything ever. And then Jan says something incredible to him. He says, oh, I know. I, I know that you haven't because I've, I've seen proof. And then at that moment, Paul realizes like, wow, this dude has seen my bank records. This guy knows this guy knows way more about me than I probably realized when I first walked in. So the question becomes, how did Jan know that? How does how is Jan this guy who works for a you know big tech company, uh, I mean, sure they could they could they've got a lot of money. They could hire private investigators and things like that. But but even private investigators are you know would have a very hard time getting a hold of somebody's bank records. Um, that's that's not an easy thing to do. And um, so so that left a very interesting thing open. And we're gonna we're gonna and, and I, I can I'm gonna answer exactly how he knew that as we get along here. So. Now, one thing to point out with prepaid cards, there is a huge amount of fraud in prepaid cards. And I'm, I'm probably going to have to do a whole episode just on this. Because And then why? Why are, there, why is there fraud in prepaid cards? Because prepaid cards, they're hard to trace. Very hard to trace. Very hard to track. Um, so now we get into, at this point, you know, we've had this, we've had this meeting with Paul and Gary and Jan. It, it didn't, didn't go the way that, uh, you know, probably Paul or Gary thought it was going to go. So they, they end up walking away. Paul ends up perhaps more convinced than ever that there's something really funky going on here with Wildcard, with Wirecard. So, you know, they're continuing on with that. So now we get into the part of the story where, where I call around the world. <laughs> we end up going to Singapore. We end up going to Munich. Um, um, Austria and Libya. So at this point, uh, do, 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 do. so there's a company called Zaffer, Zafar, and, and this is now 2016, and Zafar releases a report 
that basically and and then Dan so that Dan and the the guy who does this this Zephara, they come up with this plan where it's like okay you know Zafara is going to release this report on Wirecard Wirecard and then I am going to comment on it. They did this kind of quickly and they didn't do it the way that they should and this ended up becoming kind of a, a hot mess and and it, it kind of blew back on on ft and they ended up having to do like you know have internal investigations and you know dan kind of got in some hot water and stuff like that so so you know so it, it was um did not go basically as, as according to plan so uh let's see here moving on um Okay, so Wirecard acquired they acquire Cities prepaid car business, um, and then okay, so now uh, again, like I said, we get to Singapore, and a lady named Stephanie Palma, who's an FT reporter over in Singapore, um, she basically starts looking into what's going on there with with Wirecard over there, you know, in in Singapore, and. You know, so then and and in the process of her investigation, they this whistleblower named Pav Gill, who's a company lawyer for Wirecard, and he comes forward and basically just gives them a ton of information on what's going on with Wirecard. He explains to them that, yeah, they've set up a lot of shell companies and they say that they have these businesses operating at these locations and there's, you know, there's there's nothing there. So the reporter basically goes out. She she goes to a number of different locations and finds that there is absolutely nothing at these locations. These locations are all bogus. It's basically houses in the middle of nowhere. Uh, goes up, you know, people had been kind of contracted in a way with Wirecard, and Wirecard just approached them and said, "Hey, we're going to give you a little bit of money. We just want to use your address and and things like that." So, so at this point they've basically got it they've basically uncovered this whole thing and said okay here we go we've got we've got it we you know we've got the the goods this is kind of all coming out um so now at this point they come out they they put out this huge article um and now now this and now with this new article coming out basically the stock price of Wirecard just comes comes crashing down german regulators now start to get involved with this uh but but there's a catch. The German regulators, at first, they want to protect Wirecard because what did I say? The German government was invested in Wirecard. They wanted Wirecard to be there. They did not want to lose Wirecard, um, you know, as this this big uh, fintech wire payment or um, you know payment processing company there in Europe. So the regulator comes in and pushes back. Uh, but there's just there's just so much evidence at this point now that it's it's basically really hard for the regulator to say that there's not something going on here. And what FT eventually uncovers is that 50 percent of the global sales for Wirecard were coming from three companies over in Europe. Um, in the Philippines, you had a company called PayEasy. They, again, went to this office. There was nothing there. Um, they drove out to this house for a company called Cone Pay. There was there was nothing there. And then, um, you know, and again, and this this was the moment when they found out that these three OPEC companies, it was just it was just all a lot of nonsense. But um, but then interestingly. The stock just keeps going, the stock just keeps going up and it's and it's like, it's like, why is the stock going up here? So now we find out that SoftBank comes into the fold and SoftBank has made 
um, an investment of $900 million into Wirecard. And so that kind of, for the moment, uh, now again, we're, we're getting into 2018, coming into early 2019 here. Uh, that at the moment has kind of bailed Wirecard out. Now, Wirecard is, is they're, they're kind of hanging on here. So despite all this negative press, despite all these questions that are coming, what's going on with this business, the, the, the $900 million investment by SoftBank seems to reassure the markets that, hey, you know what, you know, a lot of this stuff is probably nonsense and Wirecard is, is probably fine. So uh, then we get into France and we get into this investor named Nick Gold. And this is where kind of Wirecard plays kind of dirty. So Wirecard ends up, long story short, they end up setting Nick up in this meeting with this fake chic. They record it and then they put it out there as a, they edit it and then put it out there as this press story. Once again, with the whole short seller thing. Oh, here's this, this nasty short seller is coming back to us. And, you know, he's going, he, he's, he's trying to, you know, they try to set up this deal with this chic and put hundreds of millions of dollars in to short the stock and, and mess us all up and everything. So it just wasn't a, it wasn't a good look. And it, it showed you that the links that Wirecard was going to, to try to keep this scandal under, under wraps. So, um, so again, basically, this, you know, again, we've got the story is, is breaking in, in Germany it says that they, and so, oh, and again, like I said, now this new story comes out because of all the thing that happens with Nick that basically says that FT is corrupt. And this is in Germany. Um, FT has to conduct an investigation. Um, and then we find out in Munich, now we go to Munich and we find out that Jan has this secret office there where he meets with people and he throws parties and three of the people that he hangs out with are former Russian and Israeli intelligence officers. The building is right across the street from the um, Russian consulate. Um, you know, basically, and then we find out that the government wants all this payment information for Wirecard. They want to get all this payment information. And then we get into Vienna, Austria with a gentleman of a lady named uh, Stephanie Crisper. Um, you know, and then it gets into this whole situation with UN migrants and immigration. And then that ends us into Libya and North Africa, where you've got immigrants that are trying to get into Europe. And now Jan is, is trying to basically finance these, these refugee camps. Uh, you got former Secret Service agents from Russia. Uh, he's trying to put together a, a, a almost like a little small army of fifteen to twenty thousand men, almost like a border force. Um, you know, Jan. He's apparently he's appears to be working with the Russians to capitalize on this migrant issue. Um, now and now here getting now this is so this is all going on. All these different things are are kind of happening and while all this is going on. The guys at FT are under a lot of pressure. Basically, Paul and Dan, uh, they claim that they had up to 28 different private investigators just following them all over the place um, all the time. So they had to, you know, not they could never talk on the phone. Um, they had to take different routes home all the time. They had to be just incredibly careful about everything that they were doing and saying, which, again, is is just is just kind of wild. Um so now again, we're in 2019 and you've got early 2019, you got SoftBank making this investment in the company. And now we've got Angela Merkel um, from Germany over, she is now over in China, pushing, trying to get Wirecard into the Chinese market, uh, trying to really help them to boost their sales and everything in there. Um, 
and um, you've got so so but but the questions um, and oh and then and then FT and then FT um, FT finally dropped came out with another big report um, about Dubai there was this a shell company in Dubai called Al Alam um, Al Alan I'm sorry and uh, that and that just kind of you know you know that just kind of broke the the whole thing open at that point now um wirecard's main auditor was ey and e but so ey was you know had been their their auditor their accountant for a number of years so but so they decided that they were going to go out and hire kpmg to do an independent third-party audit of the company and that this was going to prove that there was no problems there was no issue there was nothing going on so few months go by, probably three or four months go by with that. And in the meantime, there is this, there's this story that's kind of evolving that, that Wirecard might potentially buy Deutsche Bank, the biggest bank in Germany, and try to turn it into what they called Wirebank. And so, you know, you, you, the, the speculation probably comes in that Wirecard was probably going to try to hide all their fraud inside Deutsche Bank if they could buy them. So, you know, so, so, but, but that, so that's going on. And then finally on June 18th of 2020, the audit results come in and it was basically game over at that point. Uh, they, you know, uh, KPMG comes in and says there's $1.9 billion over in Asia that's unaccounted for. Uh, this is just not real money that's on the balance sheet. Uh, this is basically all, all fraud. And, uh, at that point, the whole house of cards just comes tumbling down. Um, Jan basically takes off. He, he skips the country. Um, Dr. Braun, it gets arrested. Um, and Wirecard with their 20, you know, 20 uh, billion euro market cap just completely becomes almost worthless overnight. They become the first company in the history of the DAX market exchange to get delisted and to go bust, um, which is which is absolutely, absolutely wild. So this 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 whole thing blows up. But now, um, before so that's kind of the end in a nutshell. The company, the company dissolves. You know, Braun gets arrested. Juan or Jan, Juan, Jan takes off. He, you know, he 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 exits, gets out of there. And now we're kind of left with a whole bunch of questions, like what really happened here? Why did they perpetrate this fraud? Why did they they feel the need to do this? And we and we don't really get a whole lot of answers there. So, but before I get into the aftermath, I just want to give so. My overall rating for this documentary, I give it four out of five stars. Um, it was it was really good, very well done. My my only uh, issue was that they they I felt like they could have given a little bit more context, like they could have probably just tried to make this thing an extra, you know, uh, probably probably five or ten minutes would have done the trick and just added, like I said, just kind of added a little bit more to the timeline, a little bit more depth about some of the different things that were happening at different points. Uh, and I think could have made this thing uh, a little bit a little bit clearer as to what was happening. But overall, um, highly recommend it. Only an hour and a half. Uh, great watch. is very entertaining. Uh, so so definitely, uh, I would say check it out. So so now let's get to the aftermath. So what happened after the fact here? So Dan McCrum ended up you know ended up going to write his book, and he ended up he ends up winning the highest award in journalism journalism in Germany. Um, the investors lost 
billions of euros. They lost, you know, 20 billion euros, which is the equivalent of $21.8 billion in U.S. money. EY, uh, the accounting firm, only ends up getting fined 500,000 euros, and they get barred from auditing certain kinds of companies for two years. Um, EY did have to pay a fine of $100 million in the U.S. after the auditors were found cheating on some ethics exams. So, you know, does one thing have to do with the other? Not necessarily, but um, but maybe that was a, a price they had to pay in some way, shape or form. But just the fact that EY got off in this thing with simply a $500,000 fine and then got barred for two years from auditing certain companies. I mean, I thought that was, you know, a slap on the wrist. I mean, especially if you go back to the fact that Arthur Anderson got completely put out of business when Enron failed and that whole fraud was was revealed. Um, and then we have Dr. Braun. So Dr. Braun, he gets arrested. He gets charged with multiple crimes. Um, you know, his legal proceedings are still ongoing. Uh, he testified at his trial in March of 2023. You know, wasn't really forthcoming with a whole lot of answers, just gave kind of a lot of, um, you know, what I would say the financial speak. Um, you know, still kind of playing the part of the the big tech CEO, like he's like as if he was on CNBC or Bloomberg or something like that. And uh, just not, you know, not really. I think I think the judge tried to hit him kind of hard and uh, and he just didn't, you know, wasn't wasn't really forthcoming with a whole lot. So now the trial is continuing and probably won't finish until sometime in 2024, uh, just because they literally have just dozens and dozens of witnesses that they're trying to bring in to bring in a lot of information on this. So, so we'll have to see, we'll have to see, you know, what happens. Hopefully I'll give some kind of update on that as we find out, or we get some kind of conclusion on this case. So now here's the really fascinating thing. Jan Marsalek, he remains a fugitive and he is suspected of living in Dubai. So the wall street journal just came out with an article here. And I'm going to click out of this for a second. So the Wall Street Journal came out with an article back on December 15th and basically said, you know, Juan remains one of the most wanted men in the world. Uh, Marcelek has also provided assistance to the mercenary organization of, uh, I can never say this gentleman's name, like the Russian uh, Pragozin. Pragozin. He's a gentleman who actually just got, he just got killed. He was just assassinated in the, uh, his plane was basically blown up and crashed. Um but he, you know, but they're saying that now he's now involved in the reconfiguration of this gentleman's business empire in Africa on behalf of Russian officials from his new domicile in Dubai, according to Western intelligence. So, and there's a whole lot of interesting stuff in here. So, Wirecard uh, got its processing payments for the P websites on its way to becoming an internet finance behemoth during its heyday. The company claimed to process 140 billion of transactions a year on behalf of a quarter million businesses, making it a rival of Square, which is now Block. And it was briefly valued at more than any German bank. Uh, but Jan apparently was obsessed with cloak and dagger world of espionage. Uh, it's said that he basically ran a ring of five UK-based Bulgarians, uh, and he spied for Russia. Western intelligence officials also say that Mersalek, uh has, you know, was visited Dubai and worked with a, tire, a retired Russian intelligence officer based there who has been acquiring weapons for Moscow. They, be they believe he now spends much of his time in the Emirate uh, together with some of his associates. Uh, the government of the United Arab Emirates, of which Dubai is a member, did not respond to request for comment. So, and then it says, you know, you know, while running wildcard, Marcelec helped the GRU, 
which is Russia's, Russia's military agency and the SVR, its main overseas spying organization, pay intelligence officers and informants and funnel money into conflict zones in the Middle East and Africa, according to the officials. Um, so Masalek was born in a small town in Vienna. Um, his paternal grandfather, Hans Marsalek, was an ethnic Czech uh, communist and resistance fighter who survived a Nazi concentration camp. He co-founded what later became Austria's intelligence agency. The elder Marsalek received Austria's highest honor for service to the state, and he passed away in 2011. So it's just very interesting. So it said that Marsalek, he cultivated intelligence operatives throughout his time at Wirecard, according to investigators and a German parliamentary inquiry. Business associates included intelligence officers and ex-spies from the U.S., Europe, and the Middle East. Uh, former business associates and officials familiar with European investigations into his activities. Wirecard provided these people and organizations with credit cards and bank accounts and shifted money between European and conflict zones in the Middle East and Africa, they said. Uh, two former business associates of Marsalek said the executive told them that he worked for Russian intelligence agencies and for their Western counterparts. Um, now here's and now here's what we get when I talked earlier about uh, Germany having a vested interest here. So here and here we go. Here's why Germany's foreign intelligence service, the BND, not, not to be confused with the Banker Next Door podcast, <laughs> as well as the country's equivalent of the FBI, the BKA, told Parliament during a public inquiry that ran from September 2020 to September 20 or to June of 2021 that they had used Wirecard credit cards and bank accounts for their agents abroad, as well as for paying informants at home and abroad. Senior German intelligence officials confirmed this to the Wall Street Journal. BKA relied heavily on Wirecard at the time of its collapse. The company was handling a third of credit card payments that BKA officers used to pay informants. A senior member of the German intelligence community said the services used Wirecard because it was more amenable than many other Western regulated banks, which are often reluctant to work with intelligence agencies for compliance and legal reasons and fear of reputational damage. Wirecard services were used to finance Russian covert operations, pay informers or military contracts and fund classified projects such as arms purchases, intelligence officials said. Um, and then it says Marsalek ordered Wirecard bank employees to breach data protection and other rules to compile data about clients, according to testimony from former executives to German prosecutors. Several intelligence officials said it could have provided information about intelligence agents' work as well. Um, and then some officials suspect he was passing this data on to Russia. Uh, because Marsalek, who was known for jet-setting around the globe as an executive, chose Russia as his most frequent destination, taking dozens of trips there in the years before he was forced to flee to Moscow. Um, so there you have it. Uh, so Jan is is uh, still running about the world, uh, possibly hanging out in Dubai, possibly hanging out in Russia. We don't know. Uh, but he's still on the run. He's still on the run, remains a fugitive of justice, uh, still, but still running around and doing a lot of things. And he uh, just became a fascinating character in this whole in this whole story. Um, so, you know, Wirecard, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, this is this was again, it was kind of a wild ride. Uh, you know, all it got into all kinds of things here, you know, you know, uh, prepaid cards, prepaid card fraud, money laundering, 
um, intelligence agencies, you know, different governments around the world, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, the, you know, migrant issues going into Europe, uh, all, all this different kind of wild stuff got tangled into this, into this in, in kind of incredible story here. So, um, so again, I, I hope people, uh, I hope people kind of found this uh, interesting. Uh, like I said, I would, I would highly recommend, you know, go check out the, uh, you know, go check this out when you have time. I will put a link to the Wall Street Journal article in at the bottom here, just in case you want to go on and check that out. But uh, um, again, I hope everybody just liked it. If, uh, you know, please, if, you know, please give a, a big thumbs up, make sure to like and subscribe to the channel. And I will be back again real soon to uh, with some more things to come. So I thank everybody a lot and hope you guys have a great rest of the weekend.